part of that in Jesus' name. This, uh, it's been a little bit, but I have slowly and hopefully surely been working through a, a little series called The Seven Weapons We Have to Defeat the Enemy. It came, and, and I, I always want to say this because I wish I could take credit for it, but I can't. But um, the late Brother Kenneth Reeves, pastored in, I think, Granite City, Illinois, uh, just a, a stalwart man of God, he had wrote something down, and, and through just different channels, I came uh, on it. Someone was talking about something they had written in their Bible that he had preached, and I, I wrote it down in, in talking to them, and I am just, I like how it flows. Seven weapons against Satan. You may have already written it down, but if you haven't, and this is in no particular order, but uh, we started off with the word of your testimony. The Bible says they overcame him by the word of your testimony. And so it's been a month or so ago we preached about that. And then uh, uh, we talked about the name of Jesus, that there's power in the name of Jesus. And I believe that. I am convinced that, that sometimes it's that it's not said in vain, it's not said in a hasty manner, but just that sharp intake of breath and that simple prayer, Jesus can do more than almost anything you could ever ask or think. And, and then, uh, it's been a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the written word of God, and, and you can't burn the book, and that the word of God is powerful, sharp, sharper uh, than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder of the joints and the marrow. Tonight, I want to take you uh, and talk to you about the power of the Holy Ghost. It, it's a, uh, something that we as, as Pentecostals, we understand but, but maybe we need to delve into it, that it's not just a statement. It's not just a word that we like to throw around, but there's power in that. Later, when, it, when we have time, we'll talk about the blood of the Lamb. We'll talk about uh, the angels. We'll talk about uh, prayer and praise, all of those things. But I want to take you on a journey. Now, many of these, you're going to say, well, Pastor, it's a Wednesday night. We're, we're here, we're the, you know, we're the core of the church, we're, we understand these things, I know. But it's good for you to just hear it again. I know you've received the Holy Ghost, some of you have had it longer than I've been alive. But I don't ever want the Holy Ghost to become old hat. The Holy Ghost needs to be as fresh in your life today as it was that moment you knelt at an altar or stood at the altar and lifted your hands and God filled you with it. And so why don't we start a very familiar portion of Scripture, John chapter 3, verse 1. Now tonight I uh, am going to have a lot of Scripture. Um, I gave my notes to Brother Ron and so uh, hopefully he can, he can uh, put them as I go. But you're more than welcome when I'm done. If you want notes, you can text me or email me. And I don't mind just giving it to you so you can see those verses for yourself. Many of them are verses you know, or at least have a, a working knowledge of them. But I want to put them all together. But John chapter 3 verse 1 says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation for right now for just a moment. Uh, he was a Pharisee. After one dark evening, he came to speak with Jesus. And he said, Rabbi... He said, we all know that God sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so he's, he's complimenting Jesus. He recognizes something about Jesus that perhaps other teachers of that day didn't have. And in his mind, he's a great teacher. In his mind, uh, there's something more to it. And Jesus 
does it, it's just like that compliment rolls off his back. And Jesus just looks at him and replies, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This confuses Nicodemus. He says, I don't understand. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? This, this terminology doesn't make sense. And Jesus replied, and again, reading the New Living Translation, Jesus says, I assure you that no man can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and of the spirits. Humans can only produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And then it keeps going down in verse 16. You have John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. This is one of the first mentions of this Holy Ghost, this Holy Spirit uh, in, in Jesus' ministry. And he's saying that you cannot uh, have have life in heaven. You cannot have eternal life unless you've been born of the water and of the Spirit. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is part and parcel of what you and I believe, and it's truth. It's, it's found in the page of the Bible. It's John 3.16. John answered and say, uh, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier cometh after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose, and he shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. John the Baptist knew what was coming. It's Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, or verse 11. It's the same thing. It says he shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. This Holy Ghost that we talk about, it's synonymous with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we talk about it, we sing about it, and, and we teach about it. But can I just tell you at the end of the day, I want it. I don't want to just sing about it because there's a lot of people that sing about things they've never experienced. There's a lot of people. Why don't you put it on, on a speakerphone and I'll preach to them for a while. I don't want to just walk the talk. I don't want to just, you know, act like I know what I'm talking about. Some people can talk real big and they use big words, but I want to be able to know that I've been there, he's filled me, and not only did he fill me, but I know what it's about. And, uh, and, and so I want, to, I want to talk about it. Um, Ninety times in the King James Version Bible, the words Holy Ghost are mentioned in this uh, uh, in, in this way we're talking. Seven times it uses the words Holy Spirit. And I realize that some would perhaps say that the Holy Ghost is, is not for today. Yeah, it's found in the Bible, but we don't do that. But I would uh, delve into Scripture. And so let me just take a moment to, to just remind you what the Holy Ghost is. For number one, it's a gift. Watch this, Luke chapter 11 and verse 9 says, I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking, red letter edition. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and to he that seeketh findeth, and to he that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, are you going to give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? If he asks an egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. And Jesus answers saying, then if you're evil, not that you're a bad person, but just you're not holy, 
You're not, you know, been regenerated. You're, you're evil. How much do you give good gifts unto your children? How much more? And here's the key. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? This is crucial to understanding how we ought to pray if you've never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yes, there is an element of repentance, and you've heard me preach. We did a children's sermon Sunday morning, and and I preach it time and time again. Repentance is absolutely essential, for God is not going to fill someone that has unrepented sin. Because to me, if you haven't repented, then you don't understand the need of salvation. You're, 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 you're okay in your own mind. You're, you're there. I don't need to be washed clean. I don't need to be saved. But when a person repents of their sins and when Jesus has forgiven them, then all you have to do is ask him and you shall receive. Now, we're gonna, it's also a promise. It goes with it. Jesus right here was promising that they, though that ask, will receive. At, or, or Matthew um, chapter 3, it's a promise that John the Baptist said. And again, I've already quoted it, but let me quote it again. He's coming and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. It is a promise. It's John chapter 7 and verse 37. When in the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood up and cried, if any man thirst, come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the Spirit, which they that should believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's a promise. Uh, I think it was Brother Bounds, I don't remember at camp meeting, uh, one of them made a statement, said, why do we always think it's just a river? The Bible says it's rivers, plural. That it's more than you could ask or think, if you will. It's rivers of living water. It's an overflow. It's a saturation of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 14 and verse 23. Jesus said uh, unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. We're going to break that down a little bit more in a minute, but that's a promise. It's a promise. This Holy Ghost that we talk about, it seals us. I mean, if you remember the sermon a couple weeks ago, sealed and preserved. It seals us. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Of whom you've trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed that promise. Jesus, I, one of the things that, that I'm learning, the Bible talks about where all we need to continue to learn, is that the Holy Ghost is not an event. Why don't you think about that for a moment? The Holy Ghost is not an event. It's so many times we, you know, because we we look at Acts 2.38 and there are three distinct actions that need to happen. Some of them are actions that you have to do. Uh, Another is an action that requires your belief but requires the power of God to wash away the sins. And the third, the Holy Ghost only comes from God. You can't do anything about that. 
But that repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, and, and I know we celebrate those. We need to celebrate every time somebody repents. But we give baptism certificates when someone's baptized. We give Holy Ghost certificates when someone uh, has received the Holy Ghost. But this is not an event. This is not just a... Um, today I went to the mail. I opened the mail and I had a, a, a big envelope from our, our headquarters. And in it contained a certificate uh, because I have now been a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church for 15 years. And so it's a, they call them ministry milestones. And that's pretty cool. But, but I didn't just, I, it's not the fact that I got a minister's license. Yes, that's an event. But I am now living my life as a minister. Because the moment that I stop living my life as a minister, they're going to take my license away. And then, who cares about the event? What good is an event if I'm no longer doing anything with it? The Holy Ghost is not an event. It's not a, it's not a merit badge for a Boy Scout. It's not a, a belt in a karate class. But instead, the Holy Ghost... Well, well let me tell you what the Holy Ghost is in Jesus' own words. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let me just kind of go through this chapter, and then I'll, I'll take a break every few verses, and we'll, we'll look at it. John chapter 14. Who better to explain the Holy Ghost than Jesus himself? Who better to tell us what we need to learn than this? Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, this needs, I need you to, to, to verbally respond to this. You can just all, nobody has to raise their hand, just all tell me. Who is speaking? So any of you that understand the English language, which is most of you, some of you are still struggling for it, with it, but any of you that understand the English language, the pronoun I refers to who? The one that's, exactly, the one that's speaking. And so here you have Jesus saying, I will go, I will come back, I am preparing. Jesus says, where I am, one day there you will be also. It's the I pro pronoun. I will leave, but I will come again. Now verse 4, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Now Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whether you goest, and how do we know the way? Thomas is kind of confused. Jesus said unto him, back to Jesus speaking, watch the pronoun, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Again, he says, I am the only way. What he was telling uh, 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 Thomas is, follow me, and I'll lead you. Follow me. You've heard the words I've said. Now watch again, verse 7. If you have known me, you, would have known my, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him, and hath seen him. Philip saith unto him, he's a little confused. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Philip is saying, I don't understand. You're saying that we should know 
the Father, meaning God. I don't, I don't know God. How can I know God? And Jesus answers the question, verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? Hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. So how are you saying then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, and he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now, I know that can be confusing at times, but you have to realize that, that Jesus was all man. When they poked him with the, the thorns and put a, 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 a pierce in his side and, and hands, he bled just like you and I. He thirsted just like you and I. The difference was he was God manifesting the flesh. Now, listen, the key to this right here that we just talked about is the phrase, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Because he says those two statements, it becomes clear. If he would have only said one of those statements, we'd have had an issue. If he would have just said, I am in the Father, or if he'd have just said, the Father is in me. But when you say, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, that's one of those mathematical equations, if you will, with an equal sign in between. They're the same. He's saying, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works shall he do, because I go unto my Father. It boils down to believing in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is paramount to our salvation. Nothing else matters without the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, If you believe in me, and of course, believing means there's actions that happen. He that believeth and is baptized. I believe, thus I want to be baptized. That's how that works. But he said there's going to be greater works that you and I are going to do because one day he's coming to you. Verse 13 says, Whatsoever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. It's Jesus that was talking to disciples that he has personally walked with for about three years. They don't quite understand how everything is panning out. Jesus has been very cryptic up to this time. He, he's, he's talked about, uh, you know, Jerusalem's going to fall down and there won't be any stones. But uh, he, he's talked about, I'm going away. And they don't understand. They're petrified because they have enjoyed being with him. They have, they have seen the power and the works that Jesus has done. Blinded eyes have been opened. Deaf ears have been unlocked. And they don't want him to go away. I perhaps believe that there's tears. They're, they don't like talking about this. They're, they're crying. And so Jesus just stops for a moment and he has to explain that I'm not going away for good. He says, I'm... You know, uh, 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 he'll give you a comforter that will abide with you forever. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, talking about the comforter, it's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You want to know why the upper room made perfect sense to those disciples and the 120? 
It's because they had walked with him. And when it fell, the Holy Ghost fell, that same feeling they got walking with him, they had in the upper room. And it goes all the way back to this. You're going to know it because you walked with him. But now he's going to be in you. Verse 18, he says, now remember, let's go back to verse 16 for a moment. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And then verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Again, who's the I? Jesus says, I will come to you. The Father will give you the comforter. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. It's the same thing. There's not two comforters. There's not one from the Father and Jesus. There's only one. It's Jesus. He said in verse 19, Yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but you shall see me because I live, and you shall live also. And in that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. He that, keepeth, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, is he, that love, or he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. And Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, but the other one. Judas says, Lord, how is it that you're going to manifest yourself unto us, but not unto the world? So, Lord, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Jesus, you're going away. But you're going to come back and and you're going to be in us. And how are you going to be there when nobody else is going to understand it? That's a really good question. And Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man loves me, if he keeps my words, my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the comforter, here's that comforter again. This is not a third comforter. We've already had a comforter coming from God, the Father. Jesus said, I am the comforter, but now watch this. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance what I have said to you. Once again, there's not three comforters. There's just one. He says, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come again. You can call it the Holy Ghost if you want to, but I'm going to come and teach you all things and bring these things to your remembrance. Fast forward a little bit. The disciples are in Jerusalem. Jesus has left the building, if you will. They're alone. They don't know where he is. They're scared. Uh, They've had a promise to go tarry in Jerusalem, but they don't know what that means. But Acts 2 begins to unfold. They're suddenly there. They were all there in one mind, one accord. Suddenly there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared on them cloven tongues like as a fire, sat down on them and they were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now watch this. At that moment, nobody had to preach a sermon to them. At that moment, nobody had to explain what was happening. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is what he was talking about when we were having all those questions. This is what he was doing. Uh, This is Jesus living in me. They were experiencing it. The onlookers, they needed the explanation. So Peter stood there on the balcony, perhaps, uh, standing with the other 11, and he began to preach. This is that. That was spoken of by the prophet Joel. That in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. This is that. I 
I, I believe, and, and it's, it's very true. Let me, uh, let, let, I'm, I'm going to kind of finish this thought, and then I want to I take some time on, on, on the last part. I'm going to just give you a list, because I want to talk about how the Holy Ghost, it, we can use the Holy Ghost. But I, I said earlier, the Holy Ghost is not an event. There is evidence of that infilling of the Holy Ghost. In the upper room, when the Holy Ghost came, they spoke with other tongues. And to this day, that evidence still stands. When someone uh, repents of their sins and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, they do exactly what the 12 disciples did and the, and the uh, others that were there. It was 120 total. They did exactly that. The Holy Ghost comes. They begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. I have seen that uh, hundreds and probably thousands upon thousands of times through the travels. My wife and I have been blessed to travel. I've seen it overseas. I've seen it in children. I've seen it in adults. I've seen it in elders. I've seen it on deathbeds. I've seen it in families. But it's not the tongues that's what that 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 we 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 seek. We're not looking for the sign of it. I'm glad it happens because it lets me know it's the evidence. But those tongues is not where the power is. It's the Holy Ghost that lives in you. Too many today get caught up in seeking the tongues. And, and again, there's no doubt that speaking in tongues is the scriptural evidence for that initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. But your goal ought, and ought not be, I want to speak in tongues. Your goal is, I want to be filled with His Spirit. And if you will get filled with His Spirit, the evidence will be there. You will know because there's no maybe with Christ. It's definite. Jesus never wanted it to be something where you got to uh, look around and kind of guess, did I get it or didn't I get it? I remember one of the, one of the neatest uh, things in my life, and I can't tell you the whole story. The whole story, I, we ought to write a book, Sister Buford and I. You can ask us later, and we can tell you the whole crazy, messed up story. We were in Enid, Oklahoma. And uh, we were preaching a revival. It's a very small church, uh, and 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 but they were, they loved God, and we were there, and we were doing some children uh, sermons with it. And there was a a little girl. I think her name was Robin, and and she was very shy. She would not hardly look at anybody. I think she was eight years old. Very shy, and and she wanted the Holy Ghost so bad, but she. She was very shy. She didn't know really how to talk in front of people. And, you know, so she'd come up to the front and she'd just kind of bow her head. And we had been there for a couple days. I think we stayed a week or so preaching, had her trailer parked there. And, and every night we would pray with Robin. And, and finally, Robin got to the point where she would begin to worship and, and out loud. And, and God filled Robin with the Holy Ghost. Brianne and I were right there in front of her. God filled her. She began to speak with other tongues. And, and somehow, in the midst of this, there was this. This kook, I don't, that's the only way I can describe him. He was a kook. This whole family, it was really weird. Uh, you can think of every cultish person you've ever met. I don't care if Hollywood painted him. This is this guy. He was about 80 years old. He had a wife that looked like she was about 13. And, and it was very odd. They, she, he prophesied, or she prophesied over my wife, scared my wife half to death because they were odd. They're, my Holy Ghost was not meshing with whatever they had. Well, he got a hold of Robin and Robin's mom, and he said he didn't, she didn't get the Holy Ghost. She didn't get the Holy Ghost. And it messed Robin up so bad because she, she was listening to this older man, and the, and the woman was listening, and, and she, she finally got to where she said, I didn't get the Holy Ghost, Brother Buford. And I knelt down with Robin. I said, Robin, God will make it clear. 
I said, tomorrow when we come back to church, I want you just to come and I want you to lift your hands. And I promise you, God won't leave you hanging. Robin came back to church and, and her mom, and she came right up the front. She's very shy, and, and she lifted her hands, and she began to just praise Jesus in that really quiet, soft voice. And then all of a sudden, she stopped, and she threw her hands up, and as loud as she could, she began to speak with other tongues. You could have heard it outside because God isn't a God of a maybe. That's why he uses the evidence. Because if he would have said you get goosebumps when you get the Holy Ghost, then some of you would have come to church and you'd have had the Holy Ghost every time you walk into church because you're cold all the time. God says, I don't want there to be a maybe. And it's probably colder because we insulated the attic. We'll work on that. But God said, I don't want there to be a maybe. I will fill you and you will know. But I want to... I want to leave you with this, and I'm, I don't have time to read them all because it would, it would take, uh, it'd take me another uh, 30 minutes. And if you want it, I'll, I'll give it to you if you can't keep up. But I want to, going back to the kind of the, the, the tenor of my series, the Holy Ghost is a way we defeat the enemy because it's God in you. What does the word say? Greater, greater is he that is in you, in us, than he that's in the world. That, that right there is the whole sermon. There's, there's not much more I can say. All you need to know is that. All you need to know is that Jesus is there. But let me give you 50 things you get when Jesus comes and lives in you. And I didn't, I didn't come up with this list. I was perusing around and reading it and just kind of going through. And, 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 but here are 50 things that you have when you have the Holy Ghost. Number one, it's the spirit that convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's John 16, 8. It's the spirit that guides us into all truth. John 16, 13. It's the spirit that regenerates us, born again. John, or John 3, 5 through 8 and Titus 3 and 5. It's the spirit that testifies of Christ Jesus, John 15, 26 and 16, 14. It's the, it's the spirit that reveals Christ to us and in us, John 16, 14. It's the spirit that leads us, Romans 8, 14. It's the spirit that sanctifies us, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. It's the spirit that empowers us, Luke 4, Romans 15. It's the spirit that fills us, Ephesians 5, 18. It's the the spirit that teaches us to pray Romans 8 26 it's the spirit that bears witness in us that we are the children of God Romans 8 16 it's the spirit that produces in us the fruit or the evidence of his work and presence that's what brother Perryman preached a few Wednesday nights ago it's the spirit that distributes spiritual gifts and manifestations of his presence to and through the body it's the spirit that anoints us for ministry. It's the spirit that washes and renews us according to Titus 3 and 5. It's the spirit that brings unity and oneness to the body. 
It's the spirit that's our guarantee. It's the deposit, if you will, of the future resurrection, 2 Corinthians 1.22. It's the spirit that seals us under the day of redemption, Ephesians 1.13. It's the spirit that breaks the law of sin and death, Romans 8.2. It's the spirit that quickens your mortal body, Romans 8.11. It's the spirit that reveals the deep things of God uh, to us, 1 Corinthians 2.10. It's the spirit that reveals unto us what we have been given from God, 1 Corinthians 2.12, the Spirit dwells in us. The Spirit speaks to and in and through us. The Spirit is the agent by which we are baptized into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12.13. You never realize what you got when you came up to an altar and lifted your hands. It's the Spirit that brings liberty. It's the Spirit that transforms us into the image of Christ. It's the Spirit that cries in our heart, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit that enables us to wait, Galatians 5. It's the Spirit that supplies us with Christ, Philippians 1. It's the Spirit that grants everlasting life. The Spirit gives us access. The Spirit makes us corporately the habitation of God. The Spirit reveals the mystery of God to us. The Spirit strengthens our spirit. Ephesians 3.16 The Spirit in, enables us to obey the truth. The Spirit enables you and I to know that Jesus lives in you. It's the Spirit that confesses Jesus came in the flesh. 1 John 4.2 It's the Spirit that says, Come Lord Jesus, along with the bride. In Revelation 22.17 the Spirit dispenses God's love into our hearts. Romans 5 and 5. The Spirit bears witness to the truth in our conscience. I talked about that, I think, Sunday night. It's the Spirit that teaches us. The Spirit gives us joy. The Spirit enables some to preach the gospel. The Spirit moves us. The Spirit knows the things of God. Matthew 12, 28, the Spirit casts out the demons. John 14, 26, the Spirit brings things to our remembrance. Acts 9, 31, the Spirit comforts us. Acts 20, it makes overseers in the church and sends some out up to the work to do planning through the body of Christ. That's what you get when you have the Holy Ghost. It's not an event. It's not a one-time merit badge. Check it off your bucket list and say, I've arrived. But it's something that ought to be in you and through you. You ought to wake up in the morning filled with the Spirit. You ought to go to work at lunch on your lunch break operating in the Word of God, in the Spirit of God. And when you lay your head on that pillow tonight, you ought to know I've been filled with God Almighty. And greater is He that is in me than he that's in the world. You've been bought with a price you've been set free and he said I am empowering you Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you we don't tuck our tail and run but we lift our heads proudly if you will if I could use that word confidently I'm his child and what a father he is I've been blessed with the best father in the whole world. Some of you may not have great father figures in your life, but either one, it pales in comparison when you stand to God Almighty, the one who looked down and says, you're my child. Spirit says I can call him Abba, meaning Father, I want us to stand today. It's just something you need to realize. That's why the more I look at that list, and I have it prominently in my office, and, and almost every time I grab my, my Bible or my computer and I'm studying, I see this list that Brother Reeves put, and I'm beginning to understand now why he said that list. 
because all I had was just the list. I didn't have his notes to preach. So I had to do some, some sleuthing. I had to start seeing, well, why did he say the power of our testimony? But when you begin to realize it, you realize the liberty that brings. I had to realize that, that why is it it's the name of Jesus, but the more you study the name of Jesus, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Why is it the Word of God? Because it's the Word of God I have right here that leads me, that teaches me. It's the greatest voice in my life. Now we're talking about the Holy Ghost. And I've been filled. I've been filled. And I'm so thankful. Why don't we just take a moment? I watched as I begin to end this sermon. I watched you raise your hands and I watched you just kind of that, that look saying, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm filled with the Spirit. Why don't you take a moment and why don't you thank Him that He's filled you? And if you're here today and you've not been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I hope tonight's message gives you a hunger. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. This is what you need more than anything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. Why don't we give him praise for just a minute? The world didn't give it to me. Say this joy that I have.